This is the Heartland Daily Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Heartland Institute's Daily Podcast. I'm Sterling Burnett. Director of the Arthur B. Robinson Center on Climate and Environmental Policy and Managing Editor of Environment and Climate News. The Competitive Enterprise Institute is one of the finest think tanks operating today. I served as an intern there more than, uh, well, 30 years ago uh, now and have formed lasting friendships and professional relationships with the scholars and managing and managers at CEI. I probably seek out the insights of CEI staff more than any others of uh, any other think tank from any group as I work through complex environment and energy issues, which is what brings us here today. In July of 2022, I submitted comments on what was then a proposal from the Securities and Exchange Commission, or the SEC, to force companies to take uh, to offer climate disclosures. They were saying, you must take climate change seriously, and here's how you have to report on it. Under public backlash and congressional pressure, the SEC withdrew or stayed the proposal, a modified version of which may soon be offered for finalization. CEI's Stone Washington did a thorough analysis of the SEC's proposal, and I'm lucky to have him as a guest today to discuss the rule and his analysis. Stone, thanks for joining us. Oh, hi, Sterling. Thank you so much for having me on. It's a pleasure. So, Stone, before we jump into your study's analysis of the SEC's disclosure rule, for our listeners who may not be familiar with you, please a little, give us a little bit of your background and previous work and how you came to work at CEI and the focus of your work there. Yes, happy to do so. Yes, so I am a research fellow at uh, the Competitive Enterprise Institute. Uh, I've been working here for uh, just now 14 months. Uh, so I, I work in the um, Center for Advancing Capitalism, uh, where I conduct uh, research on uh, the federal regulation of the economy, uh, an ESG, environmental social governance investing, uh, and also I do some work on um, administrative law court reform, so um, administrative agency adjudication. Uh, but yeah, I, I um, also my, my primary focus for my research is, is in securities uh, regulation. So the uh, SEC's climate disclosure rule has been a primary. Uh, research endeavor of mine to understand this rule and to promote to the public how it's going to negatively impact companies and capital formation and uh, just how people can best expect and prepare for this rule if it's finalized. So, Stone, you authored a new study. Uh, it's titled, quote, Big Problems with the SEC's Climate Disclosure Mandate, unquote. What is you know, I can't. I don't think we should assume that all our listeners know what the SEC is. What is the SEC, and what has been its mission traditionally? Why was it formed? Uh, yes. So uh, the uh, SEC or the Securities and Exchange Commission, uh, it's uh, probably our, our largest and most powerful uh, financial regulator in the federal government. Uh, they were um, it was established uh, during the uh, the New Deal era, uh, exactly 90 years ago, uh, in 1934. Uh, so this is their 90th anniversary, and uh, they uh, were established uh, on a set of core principles. Um, I believe is to uh, ensure uh, capital formation, uh, to prevent uh, market fraud, 
uh, and to uh, protect investors from uh, undue harm. Uh, and so they, they they basically are a um, a, a regulator that ensures uh, market efficiency and that uh, stock stock trading and investments are conducted in a, a fair, orderly, and uh, standard process. And, and, and they they basically enforce existing securities law uh, to um, uh, basically crack down on uh, would be violators of uh, of their of the rules and, and basically anybody who's engaging in insider trading and uh, market deception or uh, misrepresentation of funds, uh, the SEC kind of comes in and is supposed to be like the cop on the beat to prevent uh, any um, wrong, wrongful uh, actions against investors. They, they, they basically want to prevent market manipulation and prevent through their various disclosures. All, all, your, all your corporate reports that are filed every year are, are from the, you know, are, are filed because of the SEC. They want to make sure that investors are informed about the things that would materially affect a company's, um, any company that they are potentially investing in uh, would materially affect their out, uh, their outcomes. SANS, you know, not, uh, they want to prevent investors from being defrauded, correct? Yeah, yeah, that's correct. Yeah. So, and, and, go ahead, sorry. I'm sorry, yeah, and, and, and to ensure, uh, to assure against that, I guess they're using a disclosure-based framework as like their primary means of um, making sure that investors don't become uh, basically uh, they don't become a victim of information asymmetry, where uh, the the providers of uh, a security or a stock perhaps uh, houses too much information at the expense of investors, where they don't, investors don't really have that much information. So the SEC tries to kind of balance that information exchange, and that's done through disclosures. Right. So what does the SEC's climate disclosure rule require, and uh, why is it problematic and likely illegal or outside its mission? Yes. So you um, mentioned uh, material and materiality. So uh, just to kind of explain to the audience, um, disclosures are established to provide information that investors very much need to know before making a decision to engage with the company or to purchase a, a specific stock or fund on an exchange. And it ha the, the, for that information, it has to be materially relevant or has basically uh, it has to um, the, the total mix of information, if excluded from that investor's knowledge, would drastically uh, upend their uh, understanding of the company or, or of their, their financial investment. So materi materiality is very important, and, 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 it, and it kind of governs the whole process of the SEC's disclosure-based framework. But what the SEC is doing now with this climate disclosure rule is, is, is proposing something that's immaterial, uh, something that's uh, at its core is political and uh, basically kind of runs in a separate stream from the, 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 the typical requirements that would be in a disclosure, uh, and I'm, I'm speaking of climate change, uh, the SEC is kind of pushing this immaterial information as being a mandate uh, for companies to disclose to the investor public. And uh, they're doing that without any clear guidance from Congress or any directive from a court order or some kind of federal court ruling. Uh, and th this is kind of setting a troubling precedent because the, uh, at the SEC, they're they're ignoring their prior history of 
restraint on uh, climate change matters. In, in my, my paper, I go into detail about that, where actually in the 1970s, they were sued by a group of climate change activists that were trying to to, to force them to mandate climate change disclosures or environmental impact disclosures. And the SEC rightfully recognized that they couldn't do that because it wasn't material, wasn't recognized under the materiality standards. So uh, they, they took that battle to the court and the SEC actually won and reestablished their stance that only materially relevant, relevant information should be disclosed to investors. And the SEC of today is taking a complete 180 from that and, and they're trying to push this this immaterial, uh, politically incriminating information that's climate change. Well, ba- I mean, basically, they are, as a matter of regulatory power, saying, we know for a fact, everybody knows for a fact, that climate change will affect your business. And you have to tell people how it will affect your business, what your emissions are, as if your emission, any company's emissions, any industry's emissions can control the climate, uh, what you're doing to respond to uh, basically things that might happen 50, 70, 100 years from now. And um, it, it, it's asking him to enact a crystal ball. And if you were a company, you, you correct me if I'm wrong, maybe I'm wrong, but if you were a company that said, we do not believe climate change will materially affect any of our operations, and that was their disclosure, uh, I have a feeling the SEC would not accept that. Uh, and uh, if you proved wrong, or if you agreed that it might materially affect your operations and you estimated how it might do so, but you were wrong about that, it did it in another way, it opens you up to lawsuits. Uh, it, am I wrong about that or not? Uh, no, no, certainly. That, that's a very good point, very uh, wisely stated, because, yeah, that, that, that's actually a big concern of this, this rule is that, yeah, it's, it starts off with the false premise that, uh, climate change is a, a very pressing material concern that every company should be uh, should be kind of prioritizing in their disclosures, regardless of of the degree of, of how it affects your operations or whether it even affects your operations or not. The SEC is kind of is going to require this for all public companies, and uh, due to their uh, scope three requirement, it's going to be for all of their um, private suppliers and customers, so all up and down the value chain. Uh, so the, yeah, the, the, this is uh, the, this is probably a big worry and concern about the rule is that it's going to create, it's going to um, expose companies to greater risk of compliance violations, and, and that's going to be in the form of the SEC's Division of Enforcement laying heavy-handed lawsuits against companies whom they deem to not be in proper compliance with the the rule, and and, and it's uh and, and then that's going to be through. Uh, inaccuracy and in the uh, disclosures, as you mentioned, perhaps some companies aren't going to be able to properly quantify um, how climate change will impact certain aspects of their operations or their their modeling isn't going to be consistent with the type of modeling that SEC staff members rely upon. And it's, it's going to undermine two aspects of the rule that, that they're trying to do. is They're trying to create standardization and consistency through these disclosures. But it's going to be impossible because one company's disclosure is going to be very much different than another company's. There's, there's no clear set of standards that governs like the ideal uh, climate change disclosure because different companies view climate change differently. And as you mentioned, some, climate change doesn't even impact some companies, and, and they're not going to really kind of have an answer for that to the SEC. But the, the, the division of enforcement is not going to care. They're going to still prosecute them, and you're going to see a lot of companies brought before before judges and before courts 
and having to pay a lot of money to litigate this. Even if they win, I mean, even if they say, even if the court ultimately says, yeah, you know what, uh, the SEC, you can't prove this is going to affect their material outcomes, uh, that they're defrauding investors, uh, you never should have brought this. Even if, if, if they win, it'll cost them money. Yes, right. Yeah, so it's it's kind of sort of a pyrrhic victory. Yeah, they're, no. you're, you're going to lose in, in some way or shape or form, but it's uh, the the SEC, of course, they're going to benefit. They they um, they're going to still kind of get they're still going to get their congressional funding, uh, and they're still going to try to push for this new disclosure based framework, regardless of the, the huge cost is going to be for the companies under their uh, regulatory net. So another part of the provision of the climate disclosure rule, which uh, it, all of it troubles me, but this is where I think it goes into territory that's way off the rails. It's just it's 100% illegal. It's it's just, it, it, it can't uh, do this. Is the SEC would have companies under its regulatory purview. So the SEC only only has regulatory purview over publicly traded companies. Um, and so that limits who it has control over in the first place. But it under its regulatory purview, it makes requirements of companies uh, of those companies to require them to have the companies that uh, are in their supply chain th that they work with uh, at, at the, the original one had utilities they get energy from to report to them um, what their emission to basically force them to give climate disclosures. And uh, even if their owners, you know, pr say private companies uh, don't care about the climate, it seems to me that if the SEC doesn't have a direct authority over those companies, it can't deputize the companies under its control to force companies outside of its control to take climate seriously and disclose energy and emission matters. Right. Yes. Yes. That that's very very well stated. Yeah. It's it's very crazy. That's the um, really the most problematic and challenged aspect of the climate disclosure mandate is it's. Scope three emissions requirement, which, as you mentioned, it's not really focusing on the direct emissions of the public company, the the, the reporting company, but it's uh, supply chain and value chain, the uh, uh, upstream and downstream emissions that it comes from the various uh, suppliers, customers, facility owners, and this is going to be a huge impact on on a large uh, number of, of individuals and, and organizations. This is going to impact. Many farmers and ranchers, uh, just uh, entities that were formerly unregulated by the SEC, but the, the, this provision of the rule is going to create like a backdoor uh, means of regulating them and, and, and kind of expanding the SEC's kind of dragnet over uh, the, these these companies and individuals. And it, it's it's really problematic. And, and um, just to to, yeah, to kind, of, kind of mention this, I, I, many people are speculating that the rule itself has been delayed, uh, I think, like three or four times now because the SEC is trying to create a legal workaround from the uh, Scope 3. Uh, and, and many speculate that the, the final rule may not have a Scope 3 or may have like a very um, modified version of it that's, that's, that's dialed back from the proposal. Uh, it's, un it's unclear how it's going to go, but what is clear is that it's very problematic, and the SEC doesn't have any authority, uh, like you said, to, to kind of to deputize uh, these public companies and, and their their partners, making these the partners have to pay a lot of money to create 
disclosures that they would send to be included in the main disclosure for the public company. That's mm-hmm. that, that's nowhere within the SEC's mandate to do that. Yeah, I mean, it, it can't it can't force companies to delve into the tax matters of companies in its supply chain or to delve into the profitability of companies in its supply chain. I don't see how it could do it for carbon emissions. I, I would also say it, it it opens the door for a lot of double counting in the sense that some of the people, some of the companies in any corporation supply chain will also be publicly traded companies that are already mandated by the rules. So that each one will be reporting to each other their emissions. You'll have a lot of emissions double counted, I'd be, I'd be afraid of. Uh, you know, it's not just one or two. It's hundreds of, of companies in some in some of these guys' supply chain. And for some of these actors that currently don't fall under the SEC's authority, I mean, this is just gross overreach. If, I, if, if a company came to me as a small farmer and said, give us your emissions, I would say, or it seems to me, I could say no and take a hike. Uh, you don't have that authority. And uh, the SEC could do nothing about it. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I'm not, it, I'm it, not it, convinced it brings a lot of more companies under its purview through the back door because I think they could just say, uh, no, I'm not going to do that. You don't have the authority to do that to me, SEC, and so your companies don't have the authority to do that. Right. Yes, that's and, – and that's a good point. That's, that's very – very common sense, sensical to kind of look at it that way. It's like, yeah, the SEC really doesn't kind of have that authority to that extended authority to affect these companies through this disclosure requirement. But it's gonna, I, I'm, I'm gonna, you're probably gonna see that if they go that route, uh, the SEC is still gonna lay uh, a lot of heavy-handed punishment against the the reporting company or the registrant company for failing to kind of gather a total uh, mix of its um, scope three emissions from the various suppliers uh, and, and its customers. And uh, from that there, they can still lay enforcement actions against that company because of the refusal by the, 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 the target of the scope three emissions uh, requirement. But it's, it's, it, it, it's really crazy. And I, I don't know, maybe the, I don't even know if the SEC could potentially even find a way of targeting these other um, entities that would be, t- uh, required to disclose through Scope Three. I don't know if there's also going to be a way of of, of, of using the what would there to be the division of examinations to do investigations into these private, unregulated entities for not disclosing to the pro- public company. That that would be pretty crazy. But I, I mean, I, I wouldn't mean, rule it out under this current SEC. I, uh, I, I guess a company under pressure from the SEC could tell its suppliers or its you know its its uh, customers. If you don't report this, you can't purchase products or we won't purchase products from you. But it seems to me that would run afoul of um, uh, uh, requirement, uh, you know, what they call binding agreements, that you can't uh, uh, force companies to do one thing because you're doing operations with them on on another thing, that that's that's, uh, a violation of uh, commercial law. But maybe I'm wrong about that. You know, you you can't you you can, the law does not allow one company to say if you don't buy this from me, then you can't buy that from me. Uh, if you want to do business with me, uh, you must uh, also do this. Those are called uh, binding or tying agreements, and and that was outlawed. I see. Right. That that's a very good point. Yes. Yeah. That 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 could be used as as a good common sense defense to this. And um, it's it's uh, and then and then just just to to add on to this the issues of scope three two um 
there's also the problems you you mentioned the du- the double counting how um it's going to a lot of companies are going to who are who are kind of caught between being uh just a public company that has to report their direct emissions and also being a supplier and having to report uh, somebody else's supplier and having to report their scope 3 emissions there's also going to be a lot of uh probably triple quadruple counting if you include the uh European Union and California having their own mandatory climate uh, mandates and, and my, my paper goes into some detail about this uh, because uh, California they recently passed I think it's like a a two part uh, climate disclosure rule that affects uh, it actually goes beyond the SEC requirements by affecting both public and private companies within the state so it, it's 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 getting everybody there and uh, many many firms have locations in the California area so that that's that's going to be really detrimental and then the European Union they had I think they passed theirs last year, and that's going to be taking effect soon. That's affecting uh, U.S. companies that have uh, overseas locations, uh, firms in um, European countries, and so that's that. They don't both of those rules don't really create an exception for the SEC's climate mandate. They don't say, "Oh, we, if the, the SEC is going to be coming out with their rule, and if that impacts you, then you don't have to disclose to our as a satisfaction to our rules." No, they it's going to really affect. Uh, they're going to impose their own regulatory mandates on top of the SEC's rule, and that's going to be very, very costly. Let me ask you this. If the SEC's rule doesn't go into effect, if they end up not proposing a rule or it gets tied up until after the next election and maybe a different president's in in office and wouldn't support it, uh, or Congress gets involved and blocked it, and then Europe or, or other countries try to impose their own rules on U.S. companies, couldn't we bring action under like uh, GATT or World Trade Agreements because um, their environmental rules aren't supposed to be enforceable on us or ours on them, for that matter? That, that you know that, that that there are some things that we we have negotiated over, and other things are outside the bounds of uh, limiting free trade. It, it, am I wrong on that? No, no, I think I think you're very right. That that's a good point. And um, yeah, I think yeah, you're right. The uh, um, kind of an international recognized ag- agreement. Uh, it, well, if it's if it's within like the EU's um, jurisdiction, uh, they can't really, um, I guess, impose that on companies within our country w- without us having some kind of law or, or recognition of that mandate. And I, and I think um, just kind of an example of that would be the uh, the Paris. Uh, climate agreement. Uh, I think uh, it was it was ratified, uh, and, and they I think there was many countries that signed and, and recognized it, but uh, the U.S. with our our U.S. Senate actually never uh, signed off on it, and they never approved of the U.S. being a participant in that agreement, uh, despite the uh, political disagreement among Republicans and Democrats about it. There, it was. It wasn't recognized in our own Senate, and, and, and of course the Constitution requires that the, the Senate has to officially recognize an international agreement before the U.S. can become a, a participating party within it. And so it's, it's, I don't think the EU is going to really uh, – they're going to have a hard time justifying that cl- mandatory climate agreement uh, or mandatory climate disclosure against um, public companies just because we have firm locations in European countries. That, that, that's, I don't think that's going to really hold up in, in, in a core of law. Yeah, and international international trade courts. I think that'd be a problem. I mean, I mean, for instance, we can impose tariffs on products from countries uh, 
for financial reasons. I mean, you know, we've done it with, say, solar panels from China because we say that they're uh, sold under 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 what it costs to create them. Uh, it's dumping. Uh, and so we can do it for that. But I don't think we could apply the same rules for China's environmental uh, standards that we couldn't say, no, we don't take uh, Chinese solar panels because they don't meet our clean air standards over in China. That wouldn't be allowed under GATT, you know, under under trade rules. Right. So how expensive will this rule be? And because of the cost, won't it benefit? Or I won't say benefit, but it will advantage large corporations at the expense of smaller firms, right? Yes. Yeah, that, that that's actually gets into one of the arguments that my paper makes. Yeah, it's uh, the, the, the rule itself, uh, just to kind of give a, a general uh, figure for listeners, it's uh, it's going to add about $6.4 billion onto the annual uh, disclosure fees that companies have to pay to, to the SEC. And that that's, that kind of factors into being like about, a, I think, a 250% increase in how much companies would normally pay for disclosure. So it's, it's a really monumental increase. And, uh, and, 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 and yeah, this is um, – uh, this is going to create uh, a big kind of indirect cost to uh, smaller firms because uh, large large firms. I think there there have been a, a few large firms that have actually kind of either endorsed the the passage of this regulation or have said, oh, it's not going to not going to really harm us or affect us that much. My paper argues that you should kind of look at that with skepticism because. Um, of course, the incumbent firms are going to be uh, more able to deal with this this added cost because they have much more capital on hand. They 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 already have to pay a lot of money for a set of disclosures, and they they um they have many more locations that can kind of absorb the blow of this huge regulation. But this is going to create an anti-competitive moat uh, for uh, smaller firms or even pri- small private firms that are trying to go public because. They're going to see how much money you're going to have to pay for these added disclosures. Uh, you're going to have to pay so much money just for um, just to kind of run these climate modeling predictions and to hire all these uh, attorneys and, and, <laughs> and uh, accountants. But there's no really meaningful value that's going to come from this, except for you just spending so much money and then exposing yourself to climate uh, compliance violations. So I think that's that's going to be like a this is going to really hurt small firms and it's going to prevent a lot of small firms who are thinking about going public is going to really kind of prevent them from from going public. So it's going to basically uh, it's going to basically undermine the market that the CSEC was supposed was created to try and make sure worked, uh, you know, flowed properly, that capital formation took place. This will this will basically block some capital formation. Um, It it sounds like it's a full employment, you know, it's basically a full employment act for uh, environmental lawyers and activists is what it is. Right, right. Yes, yeah. It's it, it very, it very, very troubling. Yeah, and, and, and yeah, as you mentioned, yeah, it actually violates the SEC's core mission is, is yeah to ensure capital formation, and and it's at a very uh, inconvenient time because my my report doesn't really go into detail of this, but the SEC uh, under this current SEC, uh, they they've been uh, criticized by members of the House Financial Services Committee for not uh, doing enough to kind of promote. Uh, uh, more companies to go public, and, and I think is is at a time when we're at seeing historic lows for private companies having a willingness to go public. I think uh, I can't remember the exact figures, but I think it's almost uh, around like a seventy percent decline from like I think twenty twenty one to twenty twenty three. It's 
uh, it, there's just a large wow. a large number of companies are just deciding that it's not worth going public or because of existing heavy-handed regulations are serving as a, a unnecessary deterrent for their willingness to go public. And, and, and it's, it's, it's kind of just the SEC is just undermining itself when they're passing stuff like this. Well, Stone, the SEC was largely formed to protect investors in the uh, aftermath of the stock market crash. Will this rule, this climate disclosure rule, benefit investors? Uh, Would this climate rule benefit investors? Yeah, uh, yeah I, I, as I was discussing, I, my opinion is that it, it would not produce any kind of realistic value to investors. Um, and I, and the, the only thing I can think of is that it's really just going to benefit a um, – uh, a, a special, a special kind of uh, politically connected class of professionals who are ha, make a business in promoting their um, climate change reduction pro, um, products. Or and, and just to kind of explain what I mean is that uh, at the, the last section of my paper, I talk about the um, the hidden influences of uh, activists, uh, shareholder groups, uh, in, in, in climate change reduction proponents um and, and these are entities that aren't really stated that much in the actual rule itself but have had a huge influence on the rules passing and, and, and two examples of these are um uh proxy advisory firms uh called uh, glass lewis and uh iss or institutional shareholder services and they they basically make uh they make they make their um they basically are in the business of promoting uh, shareholder proposals, giving advice to companies about how to vote on shareholder proposals that are doing the same thing that the SEC is doing, trying to force companies to mandate climate disclosures uh, and to um, ensure that they have a, a widespread concern for their environmental impact. And uh, environment they, they, ESG, they, ESG. Yeah, they're, ESG. They're trying to get yeah, them to force yeah. the, force companies to adopt ESG standards, even as the market is now rejecting ESG. I mean, companies are saying, we've got to market it differently. We've got to pull, they're shutting down ESG funds. These guys are trying to force people to take them seriously. Right, right. And they're, and they're, they're probably the biggest proponents of why you're seeing a, a large rise in ESG-based shareholder proposals. But you're seeing at the same time, an inverse, you're seeing a decline in shareholder, uh, majority shareholder support for these proposals. Because as you mentioned, a lot of people are pulling out of ESG, uh, they're they're seeing that it's it, the companies aren't are seeing that it's a lot of their proposals are redundant. They're not really adding much value in terms of shareholder returns, and um, they're they're kind of just sick of this this, this big trend yeah. you're seeing uh, ever ever since 2020 up to now 2024. So, but but that that's not stopping um, firms like ISS and Glass Lewis from promoting uh, their their um, ESG products, and, and that's what you're kind of seeing with the climate disclosure rule itself. Uh, Stone, in closing. If there were only a single point you could make that would be the most important point you'd like our listeners to take away from our discussion today about the merits or lack thereof of the SEC's climate disclosure rule, what would it be? Yes. So um, a big takeaway I want audience members to to, to remember is that the SEC was never uh, – they, they were never authorized by Congress to regulate climate change matters, uh, and, and regardless of – of what you'll hear from from the chair Gary Gensler, who's mentioned previous times uh, in different hearings that the, the SEC is not a climate change regulator. 
you, they're, they're, where words say different than their actions, and, and this, this, is, this is the culmination of their actions. This is their chief ESG uh, proposal that's going to be very costly, legally thorny, and uh, counter to the agency's historic mission. And, and, and um, I just want audience members to know that the SEC doesn't have authority to uh, mandate climate change uh, disclosures, especially given that Congress has not spoken to them to do this. And, and so th this really sets a troubling and dangerous precedent. Stone, thank you for your study. Uh, and thank you for coming on the show today. It's been good to have you. I expect we'll speak again about your work at, as, as your work at CEI proceeds. In the meantime, I want to thank you for coming on the show on behalf of myself and our listeners. Thank you so much, Sterling, for having me. It's been a pleasure. Listeners, thanks for checking in on us today. Please check Heartland's website as we continue to follow the SEC's climate disclosure rule and machinations, in particular, and the work of CEI's scholars on energy, environment, and climate and regulatory policy matters in general. Also, continue to follow us as we track the progress of energy environmental laws and regulations that affect you. And if you're not already receiving these podcasts, stay on your favorite device, go to iTunes and subscribe. And when you have the time, please write our podcast on iTunes so you can help us expand the reach of free market ideas. You might also check on our weekly Climate Change Roundtable live stream every Friday on your favorite device, streaming device, where Anthony Watts, Linnea Lucan, and myself and almost weekly guests discuss the climate topic of the week. Complete with taking questions from viewers. Thanks, take care, and bye.